if you were not here last week to catch the message from last week. It was Incarnate God, part one, and we preached from uh, John chapter 1, 14 and following. And we did this, and we're taking time this month to talk about our missions efforts, whether they be global missions or local missions. What is our model and what is our mindset in how we want to impact communities and how we want to bring the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, out into the world. And I want to take you today to a passage that is almost to me a sister passage when it comes to talking about the incarnate God or the God who took on flesh and lived among us as we read from John chapter 1 verse 14. And I want to focus on four areas today as we unpack the text from Philippians chapter 2. And the four areas that I want to talk about are the mindset that we have to have if we follow God's mindset, the model that we want to focus on if we want to focus on God's model for these efforts, the message that we want to be bringing to folks, and it's just incredible uh, how Bill laid that out for his missions team this morning and how uh, just the music that we had today just feeds in to this concept. And then just as a taste of where we'll be next week, I'm going to talk about something that I like to call the mutual, the mutual. So there's four M's that we'll be talking about as we move through this passage today. If you have your Bibles, look down at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be reading 3 and following. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being found in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, we're going to stop there this morning, but most of you probably have, if you've been in church any length of time, I shouldn't say most of you, if you've been in church a long time, you've read the rest of that, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name and so on and so forth. But I want to stop there today because we talked last week very much in a theological level about what God did when Jesus came to earth and why he did it. And then we turn just for a few minutes to talk about how that should inform the way that we do ministry and the way we think about reaching out into the community. Philippians chapter 2 here gives us an even clearer picture of how we're being called to think about ministry and how we're being called to think about how we reach out. And it still takes the form of thinking first about how Christ did ministry and how Christ reached out and reached down from heaven into the lives of people. Let's unpack this text, but I want to start unpacking it this morning in verse 6. And then we're going to backtrack just a little bit. It says in verse 5 that we should have the same mind of Christ, and this was the mind of Christ. Though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. We talked about that a lot last week, the fact that Jesus was eternal, that Jesus was at the side of the Father and the Spirit from forever. Yet he chose to take 33 years to take human form, and come here to earth to show us the way and through the cross to give us the way to right life. 
Now, the interesting thing about this text is it really puts us in the perspective of God for just a moment, doesn't it? It says that Jesus didn't consider his godness, his God form, as something to be exploited, something to be used for his own ends and held on to. Now, just close your eyes for just a minute. Think about heaven. Now, that's going to look different for most of us, right? Unless you went through the heaven study with our senior ladies group. Then, you, then you're all together on that. But anyhow, think about heaven. Think about the luxury of heaven. Think about the beauty of heaven. The splendor of heaven. All right, you can open your eyes. Now, now think for a moment about what it means to be God in heaven. It's unfathomable. The power the prestige, the glory, the honor, the, 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 uh, the strength that God has. And this text tells us that Jesus didn't think that he should exploit those things, grasp those things, hold on to those things. It was more important that he left heaven and give humans who were hopeless and lost a path to abundant life and to heaven. And to make it even more poignant, Paul says that he went from the form of God all the way down to like slavery. That he made himself such a servant, both to God his Father and to the human beings that he would impact, that slave is a, the best word to describe the form that Jesus took on. So he leaves the splendor, the luxury, the glory of heaven to come to earth to be a carpenter's son in a poor country that was oppressed by the Roman government. He took on flesh, which means he took on all the infirmities and all of the sickness and all of the stuff that makes life hard. And of course, he entered into interpersonal relationships with human beings, which means he was lied about, which means that he was... Uh, treated poorly, which means that he had people who betrayed him. So he's been where we've been at now. And it says that he humbled himself so much so that he became obedient to God and obedient to the mission, even at the expense of his own life. Could you imagine knowing that not only were you God and you're leaving all of that behind, emptying yourself of those things that make you God, you have to live as human beings in all of their infirmity, sickness, sadness, death, and loss, and then at the end of the road is the cross. That's a huge level of obedience to God, the Father, and a massive level of sacrifice that Jesus took on. That's who Jesus was, and that's what Paul is saying, wow, about why did he do it? We're not going to stay there for long today because we unpacked it last week. But we made this statement, and it's true today as it was true last week as it was true 2,000 years ago. The unincarnate truth was powerless. Just because God had told us how to live and who we should be doesn't mean that human beings had the power to do it or the will to do it. The unincarnate truth was powerless. Unless Jesus became incarnate, took on flesh, and became a person, nothing was going to change in our relationship to God. 
Perhaps the best way to put it is this. Jesus and God wanted us to live the way that they created us to live. And they wanted us to have abundant life and then eternal life. But even though God had given us his laws and his statutes and his precepts, we were as far from that as if he'd never given those laws at all. I'm going to have Tina put up on the screen a scripture that I believe encapsulates it. It's from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 32, verse 33. And it says this about the nation of Israel, but really it can be uh, extrapolated to human beings as a whole. This is God speaking. They turn their backs to me and not their faces. Now catch this line. Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen nor respond to discipline. So no matter how many times God teaches human beings, no matter how many times he inserts their truth into their lives, again and again, we turn our backs on God. And that's why Jesus came. Because he was going to pay for all those sins and all that rebellion. He was going to give us a person to follow, not just a law. There's a wonderful book that we read as young adults a while back, and it was called uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It's a wonderful book if you really want to read about Christian apologetics, the defense of the faith. And there was a story in there about an Ivy League professor who was bemoaning the fact that even though he had people scoring very high in his ethics classes, it didn't really mean anything. So he was teaching ethics, and he had a full class of brilliant Ivy League students, and they were all getting A's. They all knew the right thing to do in every single situation in life. They all knew the ethical thing to do, the moral thing to do. But he was shocked one day when he heard the story of one of the young ladies in his class. You see, that young lady, though she was an Ivy League student, had to clean the dormitories in order to make ends meet. And she was cleaning the dormitories of some of the men and women who were in her ethics class receiving A's. And she began to talk to the professor about all the insulting things and all the insulting statements that were made to her because she was cleaning the dorm rooms of her more upper crust classmates. They talked down to her. They despised her. They messed up things just to watch her clean it up. And she even was sexually harassed by some of the men in the class. And she looked at the Ivy League professor who everybody was receiving A's in the class and says, what good is it to know what's right if you don't do what's right? And you say, oh, those Ivy League students, what jerks. But isn't that us? Don't we know the right and choose regularly not to do the right? That's why we needed an incarnate God. That's why we needed Jesus, to cover up those sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and to give us the power to be made new. Now that we've unpacked that text about Christ, I want us to begin to talk about the mindset, the first of those four M's. Because it says in verse 5 that our mindset should be the same as the mindset of Christ. Now, let's think about what the mindset of Christ was. First, the mindset of Christ was humility. The, the fact that he would leave heaven and become a slave or a servant means that even though he's God and worthy of all glory and honor and praise, God is humble in heart. Jesus says that about himself, by the way. Jesus himself said, I'm humble in heart. He has the humility to meet people where they're at regardless of his status. His status was God, but his mode of operation was humility. That he was humble to the point of serving human beings who had turned their back on him. 
humble enough to serve human beings who, though he spoke over the ages again and again, ignored his truth. And he set aside his stuff, set aside his prerogatives and his glory to make that happen. Now, what does Paul say about this to us? Well, he says something about it to us in verse 3. He says, folks, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. So that was the mindset of Christ. Even though he was God, he regarded other people as more important than him. Think about that for just a minute. Think about that scene from John 14 and 15 where he's washing his disciples' feet to remind them of just how they are to view other people. God washing the feet of dirty, stinky, fallen men. We have a humble God. Why should we hold on to any of our prideful plans, our prideful ways, our unhumble behavior? There's a wonderful Bible scholar, his name is Gordon Fee, and in response to this passage, he had this quote. He said, selfish ambition stands at the heart of human fallenness, where self-interest and self-aggrandizement dictate our values and behavior. That's the state of most human beings. And if you read verses 1 and 2, you'll find that Paul is begging the church of Philippi, don't operate that way anymore. Have the mind that the Spirit gives you. Have a mind of love. Have the same mind as Christ. Don't let your plans for self-aggrandizement and self-interest derail the fact that you have a ministry in Christ Jesus. You have something that God has planted in your heart to do. But humility is the mindset that you must have if you want to get that done. The problem for most of us today is that most of us have the rest of our lives planned out but none of our priorities and planning reflect that we want to honor god or change the world around us most often our priorities have to do with our own self-interest look at verse four Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. That's the mind of Christ. Looking to the interests of others, not to our own interests. Most of us have the rest of the plan figured out. And we would very much be happy if God would bless it. But the plan is about our own ambition and conceit. To put ourselves in a place where we can do the things that we desire to do. And Paul is reminding people That wasn't the mindset of the Savior. The mindset of the Savior was to take on humility. The mindset of the Savior was to take on obedience to God. And the mindset of Jesus was to sacrifice himself. Even to the point of death. Death on a cross. I mean, that's the mindset that we're being called to as Christians. That's not fun. That's not enjoyable to think about having a mindset where we're no longer looking to our own plans and our own designs for our life, but we lay those down in obedience to God and then sacrifice in order to get something accomplished. The Bible says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He knew that massive sacrifice was needed 
in order to accomplish all that God had to accomplish through him. And I really struggle, I really try not to when I'm preaching and teaching to use the terms always and never unless it's called for. But if we learn anything from scripture, we can be sure that sacrifice is always necessary to accomplish the will of God. Always. Sacrifice is always needed in order to accomplish the will of God. It was the way God himself did it in Christ Jesus, and it's the way we need to do it ourselves. The problem is because of our plans and because of what we want to do in life and because of what we're trying to accomplish and because of the, the, all the things that, that we have on our plate, we're looking to do the will of God without the necessary sacrifice most often. We're all in that category. Pastors, elders, lay people alike, we all would very much like to do the will of God without any of the sacrifice. I know I would. Anytime that I hit a bump in the road or a hiccup, I'm thinking, God, why? Why are you letting this happen? I'm serving you. And he's going, my son served me. Look what happened to him. Look what happened to him. But here's the promise, guys. Here's the promise. We got to move on to to the, the ministry model next after the mindset. But obedience will lead to sacrifice, will lead to great things. Obedience to God will lead to sacrifice, but it's the only way to get to great things, isn't it? That's what the scripture says. That's what the scripture says. I used to think to myself, I think Jesus cheated. I I think he cheated. And here's how I thought about this. I thought, you know, yes, he had to live at a not-so-great time to live. Yes, he chose to be raised in a very poor part of the country that he lived in. Yes, he had to endure a a terrible, terrible death. But you know what? At the end of the day, he knew he'd get to go back to heaven. So therefore, he could sacrifice all that. And then it dawned on me one day, oh, wait, I have the same promise. That if God asks me to sacrifice here on this earth, it's okay because heaven awaits. And I realized, oh, Jesus didn't cheat. In fact, 33 years, he lived in perfect obedience I'm 32 years old right now. I'm like batting 100, you know? For those of you who don't know baseball, that's bad. That's bad in the obedience category. That would get me sent down to the minors. Thank God there's no minor league at church, right? What would that look like? Anyhow, uh, we'll let somebody else figure that out. But boy, yeah, yeah, I I wish I was so much more obedient. I wish I was so much more open to sacrifice, Boy, I I was talking to a missionary a couple of months ago, and and he had been on the field for years. I think it was something like 36 or 40 years. And all he and his wife wanted to do was get back on the mission field. Get back to the level of obedience and sacrifice that they'd always been at. Because they had gotten to the point where their obedience and their sacrifice was to the point where they saw the payoff. And they never wanted to go back to just being Americans ever again. Now, I'm not calling all of you to the mission field today. That's not the point. Because God's already called us to the mission field. And it's wherever he's called us to. We're already on it, whether we know it or not. 
Some of you may go into overseas mission, and we would love if you did. But your mission field is here, and it's now. And I believe that God would call us to the obedience and the sacrifice necessary to see great things accomplished for him. If he did it in his son, he'll do it through us. He was our model. Let's talk about the ministry model for just a minute. And I, it is just going to be a minute because we talked about it at length last week. The idea that Jesus chose to dwell with the people he looked to affect. He could relate to the people that he wished to affect. And he also advocated for the people he wished to affect. He got down to our level because we couldn't come up to his. He came to earth and he took on the form of a servant, a slave, became obedient. He came in and among the people that he wanted to minister to. Jesus didn't come as a Roman soldier or an emperor who would have no ability to connect with the people that he wanted to reach. Instead, he came in the lowest common denominator possible of an ethnic people group that was small, in a region that was oppressed, in a place that was considered by many in the world to be sort of a backwater region anyways, and began to do the work of God. This is what Jesus did. That was his model. We talked about that at length last week, so I really love you to listen to that message if you missed it. Directly after the message last week, I came down and I was speaking to some different folks here on the floor, and a dear brother in Christ from the church here, he came up to me and, and he said, Pastor Matt, I loved your message, but it sounded like you were putting down street preachers at one point. And he said, I don't get that because Jesus was a street preacher. And I thought, well, that's really good. That's really good. And I assured him right in that moment, I said, well, my desire would never be to put down a street preacher. That's not it. But as I got to thinking about that after the fact, the, the, the truth is Jesus did have a very strong message, but the message came after he had developed the mindset and established the model. Are, are, you, are you following me here? Think about what I just said for just a minute. I, I'm going to ask you because we're, we're making a mental turn here as a group. He had a message. We're going to talk about the message in just a minute. But he engaged in the message only after he had developed the mindset, and come into the model. The mindset was humility and obedience and sacrifice even to death. He knew what awaited him when he left heaven. Then he came into the lives of the people he wished to affect. So when Jesus was done preaching, he could be found. He, he didn't go in, preach, and get out of there. Instead, people knew where he slept. They knew where they could find him. They were thronging in on him to heal their sicknesses and diseases. He was in the community. So hear me today, I'm not putting down street preachers. In fact, the truth is, when you get down to, to the very basic concepts of what we're trying to do, Bill hit it on the head today. We are trying to bring the life-giving and life-saving name of Jesus to people. That's what we're trying to do, and that's the whole of it. And I'm not saying this in response to what my dear brother said to me about a street preacher. I'm saying it to lay out the plan that we're trying to affect when we think about how we do ministry in the neighborhoods around us. We have to have a mindset of humility, a, a mindset of obedience and sacrifice, whether it's time or treasure or talent or whatever it is. Then we have to 
engage in the model, which is to be known and to be present with people, not just to give them the message divorced from the person, but to be incarnate, to take on flesh in the lives of the people that we wish to share the gospel with, to spend time with them, to relate to them, to advocate for them, to get to know them, so that at the point at which they say, what is this all about, you can say, here's the message. And that's part three today. The message is the same as the message of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Be baptized and be changed. Give your lives to Jesus. That's the message. That doesn't change. The message has to be spoken. Without the message, there is no power. The unincarnate dwelling is powerless just so much as the unincarnate truth is powerless. And if you know the history of Christianity, especially as it relates to the Industrial Revolution in the 1870s and 80s and 90s into the 1900s, there were two factions of the church in America. One was called the Social Gospel Faction. And they would go in and they would advocate for people. They'd dwell with people. They'd spend time with people. But the criticism from the other half of the church is, when are you going to tell them about Jesus? The other side of that group was called, and it's not related to what we call fundamentalists today. It's different. If you want an explanation, God bless you, I'll give it to you. We're called fundamentalists. Not like today. That was, a, that was an okay thing 150 years ago. And the fundamentalists were saying, we got to go out and preach the gospel. we got to go out and tell people about Jesus. Forget those social gospel people. Advocating, that makes no sense. I'm just going to go preach. And those, that was the war that was going on in the church in America. And guess what? There's no war within God's ministry model. They go together. They go together. Because we can go and dwell with people and advocate for people and help empower people to a better life. But if they don't know Jesus, it's not going to stick. Because Jesus gives the power for people to be lifted up, born again, and to be made new. That's it. So if we want to go into communities and advocate for them and dwell with them and love them and be humble with them, that is wonderful. But without the message, we're sunk. We're sunk. We have to bring the message with us. That's why when we go to teach about finances and help people learn how to do better and, and, and to get out of the, the mentality and the sadness and the poverty that they're in, we're bringing faith right along with it. Faith and finances. Because God has the power to come in and change people's lives. Now Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but what that really says is recognize the path that your life is on. It's not a good one. And repent in the Hebrew means to turn. Repent in the Greek means to change your mind. So together they form a really strong duo of what repent means. Repent means whatever path you're on today, turn it, change your mind, and go that way. Because that way is where you can serve God. And when you serve God, you begin to come into the life that God has designed for you. God puts you on this planet for a reason. Why don't we go find out what that is? Let's turn and serve God. 
That was the beauty of the gospel of the kingdom. That's why Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand or has come near. Because the gospel was Jesus turning to him, allowing him to give you the power to change. But the kingdom was, oh, and by the way, you get to join God in what he's doing in the world. Would you like that? Would you like to join God in what he's doing in the world? So we have to invite people to recognize their sin. We have to invite people to repent, to turn their lives towards God, to submit to him, to live the life that they've always been called to. Jesus himself was on the side of the poor. He was on the side of the afflicted. He was on the side of the, of the oppressed. And here's the final thing that I want to talk about today. And it's what we'll be talking about at length next week. So I won't be able to unpack a scripture for you today. But I think it's important to make this turn mentally right in this moment. And that's the mutual. The mutual is this. There has been a great push within the church of Jesus Christ for the last 20 to 30 years to bring these two factors together. The gospel of relating to people and dwelling with people and advocating for people and the gospel of bringing people to the power of the name of Jesus Christ so that they can make those changes that God's called them to. But people are beginning to realize within Christian communities that there is a problem with this model. There's a problem with this incarnational ministry model. And the problem with this model is best summed up as this. Christians have come into communities that they want to affect, and they have come in in this way. We come in to bring truth, to bring your spiritual development, because we know all about it, and we're going to bring it to you. And at first, that doesn't sound like a bad thing, does it? Or, or a pro troubling thing, does it? But if we take the mindset of, we're going to bring it to you, what we're doing is we're saying to communities, we're up here and you're down here. So we're going to bring you the truth and spiritual development and everything that you need. And we've got it. And if that's the mindset, then we're not really operating in humility. And if that's the mindset, we're not going to be able to dwell with and to advocate for folks on the level that will allow them to open their lives to us. What we have to understand is there also is a mutual impact that will take place if we engage in incarnational ministry. The fact that we are engaging in renewal, we are engaging in reprioritizing our lives, and we will then engage together to advance the kingdom. Now you say, Pastor Matt, I don't know what any of that means to what you're talking about. Folks who have grown up in the church, we would call those first two things sanctification. The fact that we're being renewed in our mind and we're being renewed in our heart and we're then going to reprioritize our lives for maximum effect for God. Sanctification. And then we're going to advance the kingdom of God by doing that which God has called us to do on the earth. But I, I, I want to take you back to the very beginning this morning, which is 
humility. Humility. Humility says to the people that we wish to affect with the gospel, not I've done this, let me help you do it. Humility says, let's engage in all of this together. I haven't arrived, and I'm willing to sit around the table with you and do this together. I'm willing to admit to you my faults and my errors. I'm willing to be humble and admit that I'm not some mega Christian with some mega truth, but that by the grace of God I've been saved, and I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I don't know everything, and I don't know every bit of what you need to do, but I do know the person who does. And I love him, and I believe he has a plan for your life. How about together we work towards being renewed and reprioritizing? And at the end of the day, when, we're, when we've accomplished that which we set out to accomplish, we're advancing the kingdom together. The very people who we began going to are the people who we're advancing the kingdom with. But folks, we have to have a mindset of humility. And we can't come at people as if we've got it all together. We must come at people recognizing we know the one who's got it all together. And that's Jesus. And we have to be willing to be humble enough to engage in our efforts with a mutual interest. You know the amazing thing that I hear from missions teams that go out and come back over and over again, and I, I can almost promise you, you will hear it from this Mexico missions team when they come back. Somebody on the team or many people on the team will make this statement, and you've heard it before if you've been in church any length of time, I got more from them than I gave to them. I got more from the people there than I could have ever hoped to give. That has to be the mindset by which we go in to local missions, recognizing that we'll receive just as much back as we're willing to give. That they can have an impact on us and our development, whoever the they are for you, your neighbors, your coworkers, the folks that the church identifies as, as the neighborhoods that we want to affect together, that they can impact you the same way that you can impact them. And that it's just possible that you have something to learn from them and you also have something to give to them. That's humility. That's humility. We have to be willing to engage not just in the model and the message and the mindset. But we have to understand that when we go to people, we have to be ready to engage in the mutual. Growing together into the people that Christ has designed us to become. Before AJ comes this morning, I just want to wrap this up for us, and I'll, I'll have you out by noon. You don't need to worry. I know I've preached for a while. But I just ask you today, just ask you today, where's your mindset and what model are you willing to embrace? Is your mindset one that says, God, I am ready. I am ready to be humble and to obediently serve you. And I'm expecting a sacrifice to do that. 
And am I willing not just to pop in and pop out of ministry situations, but I, am I willing to make the sacrifice to dwell with the people that God is calling me to affect? That's the question today. That's the thing that I'd like us for the next 10 or 15 minutes to ask God about. Not just to preach a message at you and then say, I hope that was intellectually stimulating. Goodbye. But to allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to you for just a few minutes and ask him, God, where is my heart? Where is my mindset? And if it's not in the right place, can you help to get me to the right place? That's what we're going to pray about. AJ, would you come? And if you're in the congregation today, I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to take a few minutes to pray. We call this commitment time here at Victory Life. Nothing weird's going to happen. We're just going to invite you to pray to the Lord and ask him to speak into your heart and into your mind about what's been spoken here today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm also going to ask our elder team if they'd get into place here at the altar. There's two functions of our prayer time, and they're as simple as these. First, if you are impacted by what God's speaking to your heart, there's power in moving towards God and kneeling before him and saying, God, I'm wanting to make a change, so I'm bending the knee in obedience and submission to you. And so every Sunday morning at Victory Life, we just open these altars is what we call it. You can come and kneel or stand and pray and say, God, I'm moving towards you and your desires for me. Also, our elders are here this morning to pray with anybody who has prayer needs. According to James, the fifth chapter, if you're in trouble, call upon the elders of the church to pray with you. And so in just a moment, I'm going to open these altars and allow you to pray. If you're not coming up into the altar today, I invite you, stay in a spirit of reverence and pray to God. And let's ask him, Lord, what is it that you have for me today? I'm just going to begin to pray for a moment. And then if God's calling you to this altar, I invite you to come and submit to him or pray with the elders. If you need to pray in your seat, that's great. And then in a few minutes before we close, the worship team will invite you to stand. We'll sing one last song together. But let's just pray. And as I begin to pray, these altars are open. You can stand up and come. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today for just a few minutes of introspection. We come before you today asking to hear from you we come before you today asking you to speak into our hearts. And then we come before you today, Lord, asking that you would empower us to make the changes that you're calling us to. God, I pray that you would be sovereign in this time, that your spirit would move, that your Holy Spirit would speak, and that each one of us would leave here knowing that we've spoken with our Lord. You can come.